0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Now that we've wrapped the storytelling element of Tara Lee's case, I want to share with you some interviews I've done with people who were involved in Tara's case. Talia Getting and Tanya Corrado, the lawyers we mentioned throughout this story, worked with Tara for a time. They were actually about to go into business with her when everything came to a screeching halt. Talia and Tanya began noticing red flags, and soon, they were working with the FBI to take Tara down once they knew for sure she was scamming people. I had a very insightful and emotional conversation with Talia and Tanya before we launched season 2. They opened up and discussed their thoughts about Tara having worked with her, as well as how everything went down once they became suspicious of her. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Talia and Tanya, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, without further delay, please enjoy this episode. I want to welcome to the show Talia Getting and Tanya Corrado. They are the fabulous co-hosts of the true crime podcast, Crimes and Consequences. And if you guys are not already subscribed, please go do that now. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you guys here. And I'd love for you guys to give the listeners sort of a background
1: on both of you. I'm Talia. I've been an attorney since 2004. I've been practicing mostly divorce and adoption. And I met Tanya probably in 2012. And sometime after that, we ended up forming our own law firm. And then we started the
2: podcast, Consequences for Fun. And I'm Tanya. I have been practicing law in Michigan since 2009. And as Talia said, we are current law partners. And we just love true crime probably as much as you do, Jamie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like all of us women. I swear, anytime I meet... A woman at the grocery store or whatever, and they find out, you know, what I do, they're like, Oh my gosh, I love watching true crime documentaries and true crime podcasts. It is such a female centric genre. Really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel like I never meet women who say, Oh, what's that all about? Already know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's usually a man that a man. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. The man and the man's like, Oh, dude, I've been sleeping with one eye open for years. <laughs> I'm really happy to have you guys on the podcast. Talia and I talked months ago, right, right, for this most recent crime con, And we were just getting to know each other. And of course, I got the pleasure of meeting you guys at CrimeCon, which was awesome. It was a whirlwind. At that time, when we were on the phone, Talia told me about this case, the one we're going to talk about today, involving Tara Lee. And it intrigued me. And at the time, we were heavy into season one of Dirty Money Moves, but it was always in the back of my mind. This could be a really good season two case. And so here we are. And we're definitely going to move forward. And Gina, as I've told you guys, has already started her research and- Admittedly, she said it's been a bit harder for her to get information. And we think that's mostly because it's in a different state.
1: Well, from what I know, I think Jeremy and her were just high school sweethearts and she was grew up in New Haven. Right. And her life was pretty uneventful. Like she has a sister that is a nurse. And then she I know she has a brother from what we knew there there was nothing like shady about her family. She, and then some of the clients that worked with her, one of them went to high school with her and she was Tara Guitar and there was nothing significant. And
2: you have to understand, this is everything that Tara told us. So we have to take with a grain of salt because she told us a lot of lies. So I don't even know if any of, this is true, but I think I mean, from what I've seen, we can say also what we've seen like she had three children with Jeremy. And-
1: they had a decent house in yeah, New they Haven had, and they, had, they adopted two, two children, but she started a big scamming in Florida in 2014 with some other woman and was flying back and forth. I know she had a lover. We know that we had know she had a lover that bought a house down the street from her and Jeremy. And she put birth mothers in the lover's basement. And she would tell adopted parents that she was paying for them to have like apartments and stuff. But she would take that money and her and Jay would spend it. And these birth mothers would live on a mattress in his basement down the road from her husband. So... Can you guys walk us through how you first came to know Tara Lee? And I know at
0: some point it seems like you guys maybe were seeing some red flags and then you discovered that she was committing scams and just the event, how you came to know her and the events that unfolded from there.
1: I want to say it was winter of 2016. We were doing adoption because I was adopted. Tony was adopted. I have an adopted daughter. It was just something that we were very interested in. I have three adopted siblings. And so I got a, we got a phone call asking if we wouldn't mind just helping a birth mother sign some legal forms in the state of Florida. So it was actually a state of Florida adoption, but she was going to do the papers here in Michigan in front of an attorney.
2: That was the first time. And then we really didn't have a lot of contact with Tara after that time went on. And then she came to us I think- infrequently yeah.
1: through the next year. And she presented herself as a woman who had some sort of agency pregnancy crisis center in Florida. And, but she had this family here. So she was trying to juggle everything and she needed some help with maybe this one or that one. So it was very, intermittent for a while. And she just acted as if she was just a very caring woman who just really wanted to help birth mother single women and do adoption because she has two adopted children of her own.
0: So this first birth mother that you met in 2016, was she referred to your practice by Tara Lee?
1: Yeah, she came with Tara Lee. She came with her. Okay.
0: And what was your impression of Tara Lee when you met her?
1: She was very busy, very busy, caring woman who was just devoting herself to her five children and nice. adoption.
2: She seemed like a very caring person, like Talia said, just way into adoption. She's adoption positive, and, and there really weren't any red breath- flags. Like, she's very likable, Christian.
1: Um, yeah, Christian. God a lot. and God blessed her that her husband made enough money that she could do this, pursue this, and help people. So would it be
0: Tara Lee that would bring more birth mothers to you or other women? Or how did you still stay in contact with Tara Lee after that?
1: Then it became more
2: of adoptive parents. So Mm -hmm. she closed down the agency, whatever it was, pregnancy center in Florida, and she became Michigan-based. And then like Talia said... We then started to deal more with the families. You know, she would get them in contact with us and we would represent them. And again, it was very, not sporadic, but it was like intermittent. I think the first year was like two or three cases.
1: So, th- so this is how a scenario would go. She has this pregnancy crisis center. She would start calling us. Oh my goodness. There's this woman. She came to me. She's nine months pregnant. She says she has this family in Colorado She is in love with, can you, can I give the family your number for them to call and you help do the adoption? Okay. And it would always be the last minute because it's crisis. You know, can you do everything really quick? Oh, okay. And so there was just a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, things like that.
0: Like, okay, I've got another one. I've got another one. So you would see her more frequently, hear from her more frequently. Okay. And now... At what point did you all see some red flags or were alerted that maybe something is weird here?
1: I remember one of the clients saying that when we were doing expenses, asking where the donation to the like always hope thing was on it. And I'm like, what donation? I didn't know you were donating so then I call Tara and I'm like, I don't know anything about 503 C's yeah. or whatever. And, and I'm like, and she's like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not expensive. expense. That's a donation. And I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. And then she started saying she was a doula and she was this pregnancy therapist. And then we started asking for more and more credentials because we were thinking, Okay, we could open our own adoption agency. So we started asking her for credentials, and that was getting hard to get.
2: Yeah, I'd ask her, like, I asked her constantly, I'm, Oh, yeah, I got to get that to you. I got to get that to you. Like, I need your transcripts. And she also said she had a master's degree in social work, and she was working on getting licensed as a social worker. She and- was licensed in Florida, oh, but not right. here. She was and not here. And like, okay, really need to get that done because we need a social worker. It would be like little things like asking her for things all the time and not getting them. And then you wouldn't see her for a little while. Yeah. Mm. And then you'd be like, hey, can I get this? Oh, God! Oh my God, I'm so busy. She was running all over God's green earth, helping them and taking them to their doctor's And she had cancer. Yeah. But she didn't.
0: And a heart attack. Was it a heart attack in quotes or do you
1: know? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> she didn't. Yeah, no, she didn't about. have cancer. She didn't have a heart attack.
2: So it was just always something like Talia and I were busy. We never have our own offer. I don't course. have time to worry about what Tara's doing because I have 30 other clients that need my attention. So it wasn't anything that we went through. Like we just were like, that was weird. And then I would say we got a phone call in 2018 get one just to back off a second eventually she did
1: bring us some
2: diplomas yeah she did framed her master's degree in social work and her msw and she was certification diplomas
1: and on crisis pregnancy counseling certificate yeah but they were fake okay of course yeah yeah they're nice big frames beautiful (laughs) look look like my law degree looks legit yeah we so we ended up getting those and we're like oh
2: okay we did start to get a little bit of red flags. Like there were more adoptions that were failing the year prior. I'd say 2017 was probably we had successful adoptions. We would meet with these families and the families every once in a while would say something weird. Like I had one family, um, the adoptive mother, I, I traveled to like the middle of the state to, to meet this family. Cause you know, they weren't local and, Um, when the baby was born and she like cornered me and she basically told me like how unprofessional I was that I hadn't contacted her until then. And I was like, I didn't even know you existed till like yesterday. So she had been in contact with Tara and I don't know what Tara had said about us. Well, Tara gave them
1: contracts.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. She would. You're right. Tara created
1: contracts. I don't even know how many we ended up finding in which our names our law firm was put in that contract and it almost made it seem as if we were a package deal and we had no idea that there was such a contract.
0: Got it. And that would make sense why these women, this woman was ticked off at you because she's seeing your name in a contract. So clearly you should know about her. And you're like, I've never heard your name in my life because you didn't know these contracts were being written.
1: So you have to appreciate, we would literally get a phone call like a couple days before a baby's due or the day the baby's being born from these people and not know that they existed. And we would try to put this all together. And then I remember going to that hospital and going over the fees, our fees with somebody and having them in in retrospect, having them look at. But here they are with this baby being born in the hospital, and I'm telling, okay, you need to write a check to the court. You need you know to write a state, y'all, you know all these different checks. And I remember one saying, Wasn't that? Didn't I already pay your fees? And I was mm-hmm. like, no. And in retrospect, they probably saw in these chunks of money they were giving Tara that they were paying us. But they're yes. so excited to have the baby in a hospital that they don't want to
2: question anything.
0: Of course. Yeah. Very vulnerable and emotional. And it's just, I I totally understand that.
2: Right. Because in hindsight, I know Talia and I had a conversation, like, why didn't anybody come to us to say something, like to even give 25% of the story, like of what really happened? And we just figured they were just so over the moon to be able to adopt the baby that they just shut up and Didn't say anything because it was like, we're your lawyers. You can tell us anything. And also maybe the association that they felt with Tara, maybe they thought Tara had done something weird, but they weren't going to tell us about it because they thought we were all one big conglomerate. Yes. we We were separate companies.
0: And that makes perfect sense. And I also wonder if they thought in the back of their minds, gosh, if I say anything, I, I could potentially lose this baby. Oh, but well, if it's I'm not sure. legal, that would yeah. be a huge roadblock. I'm not going to say anything because I'm in love with this baby already. Right. you know." And I think that scam artists are very good at creating a massive confusion. People can't even calculate in their minds what is going on. So it's almost so overwhelming that they're like, you know what, everything's fine. I'm not going to create waves. And they can't really quite figure out what's going on if there really is a problem.
1: And you have to remember these people are from Texas. They're from Arizona. They're flying in to Michigan on a minute's notice to get mm. a baby and they haven't had sleep or scrambling for flights. They have
2: no idea what's going on. So what well, like- get back to what I was saying like we started to notice a lot of the adoptions were failing like more than ever and it just seemed strange to us or like you would notice like there'd be a birth mom that was Jennifer and then there'd be a Jenny and then maybe a Jen like things like that we just that adoption would fail and we would never talk to the families because because we didn't even like we said we didn't even know these people existed. Eventually, we started pushing her and yeah. we started
1: getting some of the information. Yeah, wanting more, more information. In advance, but that was really hard. And the key to a successful con is to not have the different parts talk to each other. So if you, if she's the one in control and everybody's only, all the information's only coming from her and we're all separate, then we can't get together and figure out that there's a scam going on.
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's like con artist 101. They don't want the people talking to each other. And it sounds like she did a good job of that, at least for oh, a while.
1: Especially mm-hmm. with the birth moms. You don't want to talk to a lawyer. I'm here for you. That kind of stuff.
0: Okay. And it, going back to the money part, did was Tara ever responsible for paying you guys or was it always the families?
1: Yeah. The family would pay us. And what we did was we would just take a small retainer in the beginning, like 1500 And then once the baby was born, they would have to pay 3000 or something like that. And once there was a certain point in the adoption where we knew like, it's, certain documents had been signed and it was just a matter of time before finalization, then we would ask for the last payment. So the adoptions were like maybe 10000 last or less and we did it in stages.
2: At the end she was getting like $25,000 per family. We found out. Okay. And then sometimes she would double match people so she would get $50,000 for maybe a baby that didn't even exist. Oh, like, I see. I don't even she would say, "Oh, Jenny's pregnant," and then go to another family and say, "Jen, we have a Jen," and get money from them and and it wouldn't be
0: real. So there was yeah. no Jen. Sometimes there was no pregnant mother, but sometimes it sounds like there was, and they were living in the basement.
1: So she would match that person to that baby to uh, other people. And then all she has to do is say, Oh, I'm sorry. She decided to keep her child child or she miscarried
0: or, and 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 Tara Lee would have already been paid though by then. And was that in their contract that she could keep that money? It would be
2: rolled over to a new
0: adoption. Okay. Okay.
2: Nobody ever got refunds. I see. And she
1: also got the money for birth mother's expenses. And so they paid her that and then she would dole it out for the birth mother. She splits an apartment and food and all of that. And in reality, she's having these women in basements on a mattress or in hotels where they already had five other kids with no food and roaches and houses with no toilets running. And then she would have $15,000 in birth mother expenses that was theirs.
0: Were these women, the ones she kept in these deplorable conditions, were these women from like particularly vulnerable communities or like how would she yes. find these women? Okay.
1: A lot of them were recovering drug, drug addicts. Low-income women
0: easier to take and, advantage of. It's, oh, that
1: was part of her strategy. That's absolutely it. She, it's my understanding that she met with the director of a methadone clinic to see if she could hand out like pregnancy crisis information.
0: She was like a kid in a candy store. She knew these women were particularly vulnerable, and that she could use them.
1: And then a lot of them would know other pregnant women, and then that's how they would get. Number and called Tara. Tanya,
0: you had said earlier there was a particular phone call you guys received around 2018 that kind of is that when the hammer dropped or?
2: Um, It was from a woman who, and now mind you, Talia and I are working on developing this agency and we had filed this adoption agency and we had filed incorporation paperwork with the state of Michigan. Although, so, you know, we're trying to get our ducks in a row for the you know Department of Health and Human Services here. And we get a phone call from someone, and it's this woman who basically says, do you even know who you're getting into business with? And what are you talking about? And she proceeds to tell me that she had an adoption with Jara in Florida, and Tara ended up telling her the baby passed away. The baby passed away. She'd been asking Tara for the like copy of the death certificate. And it was a closed adoption, which we ended up finding out later when it was a closed adoption. Those were mostly the okay. Um and a closed adoption would be that the adopted family and the birth family didn't speak to one another. They did not know each other. And those were less frequent. We usually had open adoptions. You know, she said she had a closed adoption And she would email the birth mother every once in a while, only knew her first name. So there was no way for her to really even look up a death certificate in any way. And she just wanted confirmation that this baby existed. You know, she
1: called her on hospital and Mm -hmm. there wasn't any situation like she described at the hospital. So she was
2: confident that there was no baby that Mm -hmm. she was supposed to be hers that died. Okay. So when I hung up with her, Talia and I were still in the office. It was like, it was getting to be like late, later evening. And I said, I remember saying to Talia, do you really think Tara would make up a baby? Do you really think that? And we're like, mm, no, you know, no, that's crazy talk. Right. But, but now it's in the back of our mind. And one of the things that in this whole development of this agency was that Tara gave us access to her email. And just so happened this timing too, she was planning a trip to Africa and she was going to be gone for like two weeks. Yes. And work to raise money
0: to build a school for the children in Ghana.
1: Yes. She's so she's a regular Oprah. Yeah. And she did start a fund, a GoFundMe.
0: There's her motive right there. She, she right. did it so she could start the GoFundMe to get and money for she herself. She
1: won $100,000 to build a school in Ghana. Can't
2: make wow. this
0: up. Wow.
2: So I, and I remember I needed to get something for her before she went to Africa. And this was after the phone call. And I remember asking her in person about the woman that had called me. And I said, you know, because she also said the woman on the phone also said that Kara owed her money back and she was supposed to get money back. And so I remember saying to Terry, you know, about this person, did you pay her the money back? What's going on with that? Oh, she's, Crazy, yes, I gave her money. Blah blah blah. And she even emailed me like a cancel check or something like that. But I just remember, I'm like, she's really upset with you, and she's not going to go away. So, are you sure that everything's on the on the up and up? Oh yeah, yeah. So she goes off to Africa, and Talia and I start thinking, wait a second. Yeah, I can get in
1: her email. Yeah, on my computer. She gave me access. So. I go in her email, Annie is beside me and start looking and holy shit, there are so many wire transfers to a former birth mother that we did an adoption for who like all of a sudden is getting wire, Western Union money mm-hmm. from Tara. Like recent. And she's not pregnant. What is, going, why is that happening? Tara's paying her to call potential adopted parents and tell them that they're going to get her baby, and Tara wow. would give her Western Union her money, and then we would see that same birth mo- mother profiles being matched with multiple people, and it just it was insane. We were blown with three away. three people expecting to parent the same baby, and then you would see how these profiles were just changed a little bit, and the due dates were being. Change So one person would have one due date, it'd be the same profile, but a different due date than the other person with the same profile and blah, blah, blah. So these people are all expecting babies from the same profile, except for this woman that's supposed to have this baby's got different due dates.
0: Oh my gosh. And what did you do from there after seeing the treasure trove of information in the email?
2: We weren't sure exactly what to do, but we had another attorney that worked with us that represented the birth mom because Talia and I ethically could not represent birth mom and adopt family because we work in the same office. I have the same law firm. So we had another attorney that would represent the birth moms a lot. And we contacted her and she's like, oh, I've got a friend who works in the FBI, childhood friend. I don't think they were very close, but she ended up contacting her friend and saying, if this XYZ scenario existed, what branch of the FBI would we call? And I would say that same afternoon, she got a phone call from someone in the Detroit office. In the the FBI. FBI. Yeah. Okay. And so we were like, OK, I guess we contact the FBI because I don't I don't know. Do I contact my local police when something like, like that happens? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm a family lawyer. I'm not a criminal lawyer. So the FBI contacted us and we kind of gave them the rundown and they said, OK, they made an appointment with us like for the following week. And then we by then we put together printed out these contracts that we
1: discovered with their names on it. They literally had different Always Hope Adoption Agency, Always Hope Services, different names on them. She never signed any of them. They signed it. The adoptive parents would sign it saying all the money that they had to pay out. And like we saw our name on it. We saw another lawyer's name from Florida on it. At one point, the birth mother lawyer, who's our friend, her name was on it. None of us lawyers knew any of that. And so we printed out like, 20 different versions of this. We tried to put a chart together. And we didn't know most of these people in her email. We're talking hundreds of people. There were 4,000 emails. And so we're trying to chart this all and we give it to like the FBI and the uh, Michigan police and nobody knows anything about adoption law. And they're just like, what is this? She said multiple times that Birth mother died. She got shot. Oh, yeah.
2: That was a great
1: story. And by the way, would you mind helping pay for funeral expenses? Oh, my gosh. That's true. She got a full well, story. Baby made it for 15 minutes, but then the baby died.
2: It was 45 minutes before the ambulance made it there. So, baby died because they didn't get there on
1: time. There were yeah multiple instances of babies dying, mothers changing their minds. I know one adoption alone, she matched three different people and she made $60,000 and we're making like eight right? together together, total. Total. And she, to me, like one of the most horrible things she did was she matched a preemie that was born to uh, a drug addict The baby wasn't even 26 weeks old and the doctor had apparently told her not to match the baby because the odds, (laughs) sorry, yeah, the odds of the baby living were not very good. And not only did she match this little baby, but she matched the baby uh, to this beautiful family. I think they're in Ohio and then another family in Alaska and she would send them pictures of the baby in the NICU. And so one family is actually there with the baby every day, and this other family is being told you got to wait, the ones in Alaska you got to wait, you got to wait. And this family that was there from Ohio, they raised money with the church for spaghetti dinner and all this too. Hey, and they stood beside this little baby for a whole month, and she didn't make it. And because of the situation and the fact that we that. The adoption had been going forward. The mother that was a drug addict had relinquished her rights. This baby is on life support, and I had to figure out who had the right to terminate the life support. And that took days because no one knew the situation had never happened. And in the interim, this baby is. This is a true story. This baby. She has got an infection and it changes her skin color to black. And Tara Lee somehow manages to do a selfie with the baby and sends it to Tanya and I and the other attorney in the morning. Now we wake up to this little baby that's dark, like almost black. And I'm like, why would you do this to us? I
2: think so. Isn't she beautiful?
1: Yeah. And she, Isn't she beautiful? And I said, why would you do this to us? And she said, every moment this little girl gets with me is she's blessed more something along the, those lines where it was every moment that baby could still be with her. She was a lucky baby. In the meantime, I'm trying to figure out who has the authority to take this child out life support. So then they find, we finally work it out between counties and departments, the baby dies. And then we have to figure out who has the rights to the baby's body. And all of this happened because Tara Lee wanted money. That's why none of this had to have been that way, but it was all about her greed. Little baby ended up suffering longer. And to me that's more than just greed it's narcissistic and it's selfish and it's evil
0: it's disgusting
2: with lucky land
1: slots
0: you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom
1: sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time
0: no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It it takes this person, Tara Lee, to a whole darker level than so many scam artists that you could talk about. It's beyond that because the person who is capable of that in my opinion, has to be void of empathy and feelings and just, I can't, I'm sorry you went through that. I, well, I that is, I just can't imagine.
1: The potential adopted parents, what they went through both in Alaska and in Ohio, like the suffering that they went through. Also, she could have some new Louis Vuitton bag.
0: It's so disturbing. I obviously had an idea that this person, Tara Lee, is just a wicked sort of person to be dealing with these vulnerable people in this way, pretending babies are there and they're they're not and saying they've been killed and the mother changed her mind. I mean, you're just really playing with people's emotions, but she is just on a whole nother level.
1: These are babies. They're not cars. They're not investments. These are people as a woman, any woman that's been pregnant and had a child before that baby's born. You're uh, you're attached to that baby. I mean, I have adopted a child. The, it's the same thing. That child becomes yours, even though the law, it's not signed in the law and all that, that you fall in love with it. And then find out that there was no baby that even existed. Or now that baby's with someone else because Tara decided to pick them. Really, it was Tara that would pick. A lot of people misunderstand. These are not wealthy People that she was getting this money from, these were people that took out second mortgages, got loans from family
2: members, cashed out their retirement account, had spaghetti dinners at church. And we were like, this is the extent of how we were affected. Right. And it's, you know, it's not my personal life. It wasn't a baby I was waiting for. It wasn't that kind of personal connection. It wasn't, I wasn't out any money Leah wasn't out any money. It's the emotional damage that's been done, like even to us. I can only imagine what these families all went through because for a long time after she was sentenced and sent to prison, I couldn't even talk about it. Unfortunately, Leah did talk about it to a couple of people and I just, I wouldn't even show up for it. Like if this was soon afterward, like I wouldn't even be here just because I'm just, I'm trying to forget it. Because it was such a horrible, it feels like a PTSD, like kind of situation where I get this visceral reaction whenever I hear her name. I know Talia feels the same way. I don't want to talk about it. It just was horrible that it was just something like Talia and I, p- professionally, we were used and people can look at it now and go, oh, you guys were stupid. Or why didn't you check her out? Or hindsight's twenty twenty. It's hard to explain exactly the situation and get people to understand that we want scamming. We were scrutinized by everybody, yeah. you know, mm-hmm.
1: the attorney general,
2: state of Michigan, the yeah, FBI. We didn't do
1: anything wrong. We were, we were even, even accused at her sentencing of having immunity and all that. None of that was true. As a matter of fact, we could have ran away from this, but instead, Tanya and I put our practice on hold called people we didn't even know based on information we found through her emails and just said, listen, this is going to seem really weird. Just give me five minutes to tell you what we know. And we ended up calling over 100 people. I remember one day I had five different women crying on the phone to me. I didn't even know them. I've been, been yelled at. By them, they're crying. Like this happened every single day. So then I'm calling other like agencies and adoption coordinators that work with her. And I'm saying, you need to let your clients be aware of Tara Lee. And I remember one woman in Chicago calling me up and I because I talked to her earlier. She's like, I'm in my closet crying. And I said, you need to let, because she worked with Tara a lot. I said, you need to let these people know that she's a scammer. And she's like, I just can't, I just can't. And she's like crying. And I'm like, you need to get out of the closet and you need to let them know. And she
2: never did. When we would call them, you know, and say, oh, hi, I'm an attorney in Michigan. You don't know me. We think your adoption is not real or whatever, we would tell them and we would give them details. You know, she's under investigation with the FBI. We would give them the number to the contact and the FBI that we had. They ended up getting so many calls from the people that we contacted. They ended up having to set up a victim's advocate, you know, to talk to these people. And they ended up starting a Facebook support group. And we, there were a couple people that just didn't believe us. And one was the family in Alaska that we mentioned earlier. She went to, when we contacted her, she went to Tara and told her everything that we said. Mm. And, you know, this was in the middle of this whole, I think it was probably after they went to her house, after they raided her house. So she was in the middle of all of this. And we were still talking to her because we were trying to get more information because we were trying to, we were trying to find out, okay, what adoptions were real, what adoptions were scams, because we were trying to help the ones that were still real to possibly carry them out for these people. So what we were doing is we were working with the FBI, and they never
1: say you have to do anything. You can do whatever you want to do. The only thing they said to us is basically, if you can, how do I say this? Like, keep doing what you're doing, but don't break any laws. We just mm-hmm. need a little more time before we can arrest her. So we're talking to the FBI and we're pretending everything is absolutely great with Tara, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it, so it was just chaotic.
0: You know, Tara, you have no idea. Maybe you have an idea now because you've talked to some of these people, but Tara was saying things about you, I'm sure, that weren't true and and involving you in a way where you weren't really involved in something. So behind your back, these people have it in their minds that you were involved. And it's so hard to unwind that. It's so hard to look at them and say, no, I wasn't involved. Tara told you that. And so it's like the forever in their minds can't get it out of their mind that no, you were a bad guy too.
2: In her contract, it said, you know, you pay $15,000 in birth mother expenses, let's just add an example. And later in the contract, it said that money was in the lawyer's trust account. We never had, we didn't. That money was never in my trust account. And I remember when she had come back from Africa, when we were figuring all this out, I had texted her because, you know, about agency stuff, right? And I was like, oh, hey, I noticed in your contract that it says this birth mother money is supposed to be in the lawyer trust account, and you haven't given me that money. And her response was, it doesn't say which lawyer. So Mm -hmm. like trying to make me make it sound like that, oh, she had another lawyer that kept the money for her. So they think they're giving her this money, but it's going right into her bank account. That's where she put it. So why is she being investigated by the FBI? We're working on this one
1: adoption and we got, they're coming up and we got to let them know, like, this is what's going on. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are clients. And then so- We tell them and we tell them, listen, you gotta act like you don't know anything. You're going to the hospital. She's going to be there. Do not under any circumstances, give her any money. I don't care what you got to say, what you got to do. You cannot give her money. So they go to the hospital. Tara's there. Tara calls me. They're acting weird blah, blah, blah. Then she says they refuse to give her money. And they literally, she literally asked for that money, like right after that baby's born Mm -hmm. and they make up some reason. And then basically Tara is, if they can't pay me, then they're not fit to be parents. And she was basically going to talk to the birth mom about maybe not having them Be be the parents, even though they're there with the baby. They ended up. Taking the birth parents when Tara finally like left them alone, and they ended up talking to them directly, and they decided to basically work together. And so they they had to keep the baby, even though Tara was
2: yeah. They cut out the middleman. They weren't. They didn't give Tara obviously any more money, even though Tara
1: had said, "Oh, she needs more money for." Mm. More expenses. They yeah. worked behind Tara's back. Yeah. Is basically what they did with that birth mom. She had high blood pressure, and it was dangerously high. And one of Tara's things was like she's supposed to be there for the birth mom and take them like to the hospital and stuff. And I believe instead she Ubered her, even though her blood pressure was through the roof, mm-hmm. dangerous, and Ubered her from how. 40 miles. Yeah. Point is, terror wasn't there for her.
0: It's crazy for the average human being who has a heart, but like for her, this, it just sounds like she really did not care. She only cared to get her money and could not be bothered.
1: She also did physical exams on these women, saying she was a doula and like would check their cervix, and she wasn't. That is absolutely jaw dropping. Oh my gosh, how invasive. She would convince doctors, like they would be in the poor areas, these women's doctors, and she would go with them sometimes and she would convince the doctors, like on the down low, listen, they're, this woman's like suicidal, that baby has to come out. And she would manage to manipulate them to strip the membranes of the woman because she really needed to get that baby born. like
2: To so the due get date that she told the family? Yeah,
1: so like weird thing. like seriously.
2: Oh,
0: <sighs> she is a special sort of subhuman.
1: So then the FBI got involved.
0: Obviously, they sounds like they raided her house. And then from there, you know, at some point, you guys probably just relinquished the case to them and they, they brought it to a prosecutor. And
1: it took a while. We still, even after her house was, yeah, she, she called us from the FBI law.
2: Oh Great. my gosh. I'm not an actress, but I was like, oh my God, what happened? Oh no! And then I kind of acted like you know I was worried about my own self-interest. Like, oh my God, are they going to come to my house next? Oh no, you guys will be okay. And I'm like, no, seriously. So I yeah. Tried to lay that up. But
1: that's pretty um, good. That's pretty yeah. good.
2: <laughs> and she doesn't know that
1: my adult daughter was actually across the street watching. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> your your
0: daughter was there watching the whole thing go down as her home was being raided.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, insane. And it was like January 9th or January 10th, something along those lines. And I told the FBI, I remember her saying she's going to Africa and that they arrested her the day before she was her flight to Africa. Right on.
0: Yeah. Because as we know from season one, man, it gets really complicated when a fugitive flees the country.
1: You know, she got out on bond and she violated her bond conditions
2: twice a couple of her bond conditions were she wasn't supposed to use a cell phone. And so they had, they had video of her, like, you know, she's sitting in her truck and you see her like making like this motion, like swiping up on her phone. So mm. she's obviously scrolling using her cell phone. She, oh, she wasn't allowed to contact families. And as soon as she walked out of her bond hearing, she contacted a family. and they She were was still her- trying
1: to do adoption, yeah. you know this,
2: after she was released on bond.
1: Yeah. And there was this couple. And we had done one adoption for them. And one of them had gone to high school with Tara. She got closer to them, like when this was happening, and she convinced them that it was us that was bad. And I kept reaching out to them, and they were like, they hung up on us twice. And then one time, I had a couple glasses of wine, and I just called them up, and I'm like, you got to hear me out, just please, you're being scammed. She's still scamming you because she was trying to do another adoption with them even after her house had been raided and she had been arrested. Mm -hmm. And then the next day they called me back and they're like, okay, we'll listen to you. And then when I told them, I could tell that like it all clicked and they just felt so, I could feel the hurt and betrayal in because they trusted her and I remember them saying they felt so they felt really bad because they saw us being interviewed by a news station we were pressured into it and they watched it with Tara and they made fun of how nervous and just how nervous and yeah. scared we looked and they were they were like just Tara this kid and stuff. like it was you guys framing her and this is the couple she went to high school with Yeah, she went with, yes, and was still trying to match
2: them after her arrest. So when they finally switched sides, so to speak, they, so that was another bond condition that she broke and she kept contacting them. Yeah, because she was contacting them, even though she wasn't supposed to be involved in any adoption, she wasn't supposed to be contacting family. She wasn't supposed to be contacting birth mothers. She's still doing that too. And so then that's when she had to return And stay in jail until her sentencing.
1: And then while she's in jail, I guess you can actually do like video conferencing with your kids. And she got caught witness tampering because she was trying to convince her 13-year-old daughter to manipulate one of the witnesses, a birth mother, while she was in jail.
2: She's caught on video conference telling her daughter to do this.
1: I mean, I'm no
0: psychologist, but this is how her brain is wired differently than all of us Mm -hmm. here. And that no matter where she is or what her circumstances in life, I got to believe that she will always do things differently than we will. She will always try to scam and manipulate because it's what she does. It's what she's hardwired to do.
1: It sounds like. And she's in prison. We found her like prisoner and dating profile or friend profile. And it's got that famous quote well-behaved women rarely make history yeah oh that's rich
0: yeah that she, is that was rich. A
1: favorite of hers. <laughs> oh honey i mean do you know what she did to her family five kids yeah. their home their camper their boat their mom gone gone because it was all off other people's backs she ruined her own family. When we first met her, she would fly to either Florida or she would fly to New York all the time. And she got said she might move to New York. She got offered a lot of money, like a hundred and something thousand to work for some adoption something. And it ends up that's where her lover Jay was. And then she quit flying to New York. And then that job didn't pan out and ends up Jay bought her house down the road from her.
2: Wow.
0: I'm just, uh, my wheels are spinning right now because, you know, now I've learned about so many different, um, con artists, specifically female con artists. They share very similar behaviors, the framing of the falsified certificates and degrees that's been done before the using of their own children.
1: Yeah. She would bring her children along with her. She would have her children at the hospital, her one daughter, I'm not going to say her name, was screaming at one of the birth moms at the hospital who was thinking of changing her mind. Her daughter was a teenager, and she was screaming at her. Do you know if her kids still
0: talk to her today? Like, are they in touch?
1: I know one of them reached out to an adaptive family and apologized saying she didn't know her mother was like that. And she apologized on... On behalf of her mom, as far as the dynamics, I don't know. She, uh, one time. So one time she told us she was, this was when we found out that she was scamming and I could access her emails. She told us that she was leaving her doctor's office to, for a checkup, to see if her cancer came back. But I saw on her email, a receipt pop up from mall.
0: Oh, God, you
1: got to be kidding me on. Um, she spent like a thousand dollars on hair clips and scarves.
2: Yeah, it's gloves, scarves. like she went to Neiman Marcus and we figured she went to like every Louis Vuitton store, like she had been to the one in New York, Las Vegas. She was always traveling, I went on trips. You know, I, I for a family of five, like they would go on like these elaborate trips to like the Caribbean and things, and go to like all inclusive resorts. and And I would think like, and she would be like, "Oh, my husband is so successful. You know, um, he's got his own business. He's an HVAC guy. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna." think somebody's lying to me
0: about it. I used to think this too, when I was younger, I used to know people who were kind of in the same job as me. And I knew how little I was making back then. And they just bought this brand new Audi and they live in this teeny tiny, very modest apartment that they park the Audi in a carport. And you're like, this just doesn't match. This doesn't makes sense. So I do think it is like a huge red flag. See with Mary Carol on our season, she's our season one scam artist for Dirty Money Moves. It made sense that she would have lavish things because she was the CEO of a TV production company. Now it was a house of cards. It really wasn't this like crazy profitable, great business. Really, she was getting the money from scams and that's where she was affording her lifestyle. But then you know, it's a red flag when you are an accountant, let's say- But you literally are dripping from head to toe in designer labels, going on lavish vacations multiple times a year, maybe flying private. Yeah, accountants they can do well, but it just it doesn't match at a certain point. You think, huh? Maybe they've got some money from their family member they inherited, but like you start to rationalize in your head what could be happening.
1: I know one thing I was going to say. So I told you other agencies were working with her. So what a mom that she. Was scamming because I guess she was charging like fees to this particular person. She would have a Monday prayer session. The they were in South Carolina. Woman's South Carolina, but they would like either through Zoom or phone. They would every monday yeah. have a prayer session that's right, but
0: that's yeah. another that is another trick of the trade i think so many scam artists like what better thing to hide
2: behind than religion a or lot of pastor rank a character reference letter for her when it came time for sentencing that i'm sure is in the public record like one of those documents that her attorney filed. I remember reading it and it was like, Oh, like what a good person she is. And like, she's not a good person. She's got everybody bamboozled at the sentencing. The judge basically, he was very upset. Yeah. He was appalled. He told her if he could give her a life sentence, he would have. Wow. Yeah. He basically told her like she was a disgusting human being. I mean, it was, he was so angry. Yeah. Good. Like, he's just furious. Yeah. And the sentence he gave her, he he was just basically like, oh, please mess up. Like, you could just, you could, oh, you could read between yeah. the lines. Like, when you get out in 10 years, like, she's not allowed. She's got to hold a 40-hour-a-week job. She's not allowed to drink alcohol. She, You know, there's just these, like, things she's not allowed to do. And he's, in the minute that you mess up, he goes, I might not be here on this bench anymore. He goes, but the minute you do, you're going back. He's like, you better live on the straight and narrow. Because he was just so upset. And I know that gave the families a lot of comfort because there were so many people there like Tilly and I went to the sentencing and it was an all day thing because there were just people giving their victim impact statements. And it was just heartbreaking. But you know, after he listened to everyone and gave everyone their time to say something, he was just appalled. Did you guys hear how this one woman stood up and asked? Was oh, my birth mother even real? And the woman's like crying. She turns to Tara and she's like, was my birth mother even real? And Tara said, in my heart, she was.
0: I. It would take everything in me oh, not right? to just reach out and, oh, yeah, and like, you know,
2: punch her
1: out, right? Absolutely. Did Tara make a statement? She said she had a shopping addiction and it just spiraled out of control. And then she filed in a field. <laughs> right. As one does. Yeah, saying she, I'm, yeah, she's innocent. Oh, she's
0: lucky she got, what was it 10 years? That's
1: because there's no uh, adoption act. There's no code federally for what she did for adoption. So they had to get her on wire fraud.
0: Yes. This has been so informative. I feel after talking to you guys, number one, I feel the gravity of the case. It made it a lot more real. I knew it was horrendous and that she was messing with vulnerable people who wanted babies and didn't get babies, but I feel the gravity of it now. But I also feel so much pain all around. And that's the thing with these scam artists. You know, a lot of people talk about it like it's not as bad as, say, like a murderer, you know, but the emotional, deep scars that. It causes, and the pain, and the anxiety, and the depression, and the financial ruin. The- yeah.
1: How do you ever say, like, some of these people, that's all they wanted was a baby, and then how do you ever trust anybody,
2: you know, to do this again? I'm sure she destroyed marriages. And positive. Uh, I might not know it, but I'm positive she.
0: And I think con artists do. I know for a fact, like with Mary Carol, they were saying, gosh, we got scammed for $300,000 and it ruined our marriage. We fought so much over it because the husband was so resentful of the wife right. for falling right. for it. And, and right. that was it. It's like when the tragedy of losing a child ends many marriages, trauma of being scammed in this way and, the, and you know what it does to your psyche. It,
1: I can imagine your life savings is gone and the embarrassment, financial ruin, ruin, all of it. I mean, one of the women that got got paid to talk to on the phone, Tara did a three-way and she had given birth to twin baby girls that died at like 20 weeks. And she was taking that insurance money, like, I guess, there's some sort of insurance money for those babies, and she was using that t- to help pay for the adoption of Angelica's baby. Even though Angelica wasn't placing a baby, she was just getting paid to pretend. It just, it, yeah, that's going to
0: last a lifetime. To not only she lost her babies, and now she's and, wanting another one so desperately, and thinks she's and going heard to get the one. Phone call.
1: I heard the phone call and Helica's like, this baby's yours. This baby's yours. And Tara's tell to the woman, tell her about your loss. And the woman's like, well, I gave birth early and sharing her story. And and Helica, this baby's going to be yours.
0: So twisted. I want to put these scam artists out there because there may be people who are aware of this case. And there may be people who are aware of this type of scam, but I got to believe there are so many people out there who are not. So the more that we can expose this, the more people learn from it. Like, holy shit, I didn't even know that this was a thing. You're vulnerable when you want a baby. It's like you're almost desperate at some point because you just want it so badly.
1: There were people that met her at a gas station and gave her like $20,000 cash because they, she could guarantee them a baby right then and there. And these mm-hmm. are not stupid people. These are mm-hmm. smart people.
2: Yeah. Some of these families were lawyers, doctors, teachers. We're talking educated people who she just she scammed us all.
1: And they literally met her at a gas station with no contract and gave her cash. And and I'm not shocked.
0: Mary Carroll took three point something million or two point something million from a very successful Smart attorney. They gave her over two million dollars because they thought they were investing it and that they were going to see a return. So you're not stupid when you fall for a scam. It is very common, much more common than people would imagine.
1: And then she does this thing that's very common with them. Is oh, okay, so you've given five thousand. Well, the birth mother was irresponsible with the money, and she's going to need some more now. Oh, what are you going to do? All right, here's two more thousand for her. And it's like what they do, right? They just You've already invested some money, so you invest a little more.
0: And not only have you invested money, you have your heart set on this baby. And again, going back to our earlier conversation, can you imagine them going, you know what? I think I don't want to give you any more money. You're not getting your baby and they don't want that to happen. So they're going to keep it going. Well, I absolutely appreciate your guys' time. This has been so insightful. I appreciate it so much. Take care. Bye. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week for a brand new episode.